exploring the natural world one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa Jacobs of the Art of Ecology, where nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can all discover and explore some more ways to make a positive difference on the planet, as well as some creative kind of activities to engage with that combine creative expression as well as the natural world. So during season four, I'm combining those two things, my love of nature and my love of art, to create a whole entire season that is really focused on how the art world and various artistic mediums can enhance our understanding of the natural world around us. And I don't have any guests. We're giving we're giving all my guests a little break as I record things ahead of time and we have some little lags in how things are scheduled with the guests coming in and talking with me, these different artists. So it is just just me this week, but I did want to highlight and talk a little bit about one of the in-person programs and workshops that I do that highlights the relationship between plants, the substrates that they grow on, as well as the care they need when a plant transitions or switches from being a wild outdoors plant to something in our indoor gardens. So this week I am talking all about the lovely art of Kokedama. So first off, what even is a kokedama? That's that's not an English word. And I am blown away by how many people will register for one of my kokedama planter workshops and they have no idea what they even are. So at the start of every workshop that I do, I ask people, what's your familiarity with the topic? Has anyone ever done this before? And that's going to give me kind of an idea of how advanced can I get or how beginner do I need to stay to make people feel comfortable and engage the whole time. And often people are like, we didn't know what it was. We just saw that we were going to get plants to take home and got excited, which is totally cool. Uh, but let's figure out what Kokedama actually is. So Kokedama is a Japanese word, right? It is a Japanese planting technique that translates to moss ball. So anytime you see those kind of spherical little moss balls with a plant coming out the top of it, that's a kokedama. And so as we look at what it is, it's a suitable plant whose roots are wrapped up in moss, which then is kind of adhered and wrapped around with string to maintain that kind of spherical shape. And then from there, the plant can be hung up. That's my personal preferred method of setting the plant up, not only because we can avoid some substrate issues and air issues, which I will get into later, but it's also a really great way to take up vertical space and that can save room on your plant shelf, which means you get to put even more plants in your little little area, which is always a good time. So now the history of the kokedama being a Japanese planting technique, we go all the way to Eastern Asia and to Japan. 
and it became all the rage in roughly the 1600s, which was the start of the Edo period. And that was considered, that kokedama was actually considered to be the poor man's bonsai. So farmers or lower income families would create these kokedamas so that they could still display their beautiful plants and participate in both the artistic kind of creativity as well as the meditative aspects of caring for bonsai trees. But bonsais, they're usually in these really thin but beautiful and sometimes really intricately carved or thrown pottery pots, which they can be pretty expensive to purchase. So understandably, people wanted to still participate in the art and meditation overall, but kind of wanted to reduce the financial impacts that keeping a bonsai could have. So what better way to reduce a huge portion of that kind of barrier to entry by just saying, we're not going to include one of those expensive pots and we are going to instead utilize moss as the container, moss and string, which I think is absolutely a genius idea and still looks really, really beautiful. So this became widely accepted as a great way to save space as well and money. And let's be real, pots, even, even today, pots, can be big, right? We got four inch pots, six inch pots, 12 inch pots. Then you have the big tree pots, like pots are ginormous because they're trying to give space for roots. But sometimes they, they can get a little big and a little crowded on your plant shelf. And so if we didn't have the pots, think of how many more plants we could have, which is really fun. <laughs> then in the kind of mid 1800s, Western culture became a much larger influence on Japanese lifestyles. So the kokedama and some of the more traditional planting techniques became less trendy, still present, but a little less trendy as Western um, culture and aesthetics had more of an influence. So now skip to modern day and Kokedama started kind of having a little resurgence in popularity, which I personally noticed during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. A lot of people who were looking for new hobbies, were looking for things that they could do at home, started gravitating towards caring for houseplants. And I really saw this a lot with my work as more people understood the absolute need for a connection to nature. So houseplants and indoor gardening and gardening on small scales became such a huge and popular program that I, that I talk about, that I teach. And so a lot of people started coming to my Kokedama programs. So in those programs, you're not just learning about, again, kind of the history, and the environmental science aspects of the plant, but you're learning how to make them as well. And it was a great way to have people not just learn how to care for the plant, but how to display them creatively as well. So as people's collections during COVID grew exponentially, then their need for space also grew because people started realizing, oh, wow, 
I can only fit so many plants on the shelf and yet, whoops, there I went and bought another one, right? Pokedama can help out with that. So yes, even in Western cultures, Asian cultures, Kokidama has become much more popular within the past couple of years. All right, so that right there is Kokedama. So now that we know a bit about what a Kokedama is, as well as a little bit of history and creative aspects of it, now let's talk about how to create one. So we get into the fun, artistic side of things. The creation of it is relatively simple, super low material use, which again, one reason why it was deemed to be budget friendly. So all you're gonna need is moss, string, your plant and water. That's it, unless you wanna get really crazy. So we've got that kind of ease of, all right, easy materials wise, but how do we select the right plant to create a kokedama? That can be a little trickier. So by taking a look at the shape of a kokedama, what a kokedama looks like, it can kind of help us narrow down which plants to use. So if you are on Patreon, you have the ability to watch this in a video and I'm gonna show you some of my own kokedamas so you can get a look at it. This is one. So you can see that nice sphere shape. All of the kokedamas that I have personally are orchid kokedamas. Here's another one that I have made. You can see it's a sideways, sideways growing orchid, which is how orchids in the wild actually like to grow. They kind of protrude off of a tree. Rather than growing up, there are no little tiny hair clips that become stakes in the grocery store, right? So this is how this orchid kokedama is growing. We'll talk a little bit about why they look slightly different later on. But so you can see they are these moss balls that hang in the air and I have them hanging. You can have them sitting on a plate, in a pot, on a bowl, but that kind of defeats the purpose of the importance of these plants having access to air. So why is that important though? Well, in a pot, right, when we think of a standard stereotypical plant in a pot, here again, you can see my nice little succulents and string of hearts, it's in a pot. This pot has access to air on only one side of the substrate, the very, very top. That's the only place that there's airflow. Well, for a kokedama, airflow is going to be constantly around all sides. This can cause the kokedama and the plant within to dry out quickly. So we want to be conscientious about the fact that maybe selecting a mildly drought tolerant plant can be beneficial. But this, this does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that moisture loving plants aren't suitable. It just means that kokedama owners need to be a little more conscientious then about watering their moss ball. So what I consider to be an easier way of deciding which plants to use is to think about where does the plant grow in the wild? How do they grow in their native habitats? 
that's what we want to emulate. So many beautiful houseplants are something called epiphytes, which means that they grow on top of other plants rather than inside a soil substrate. So for example, I have orchid cochadamas, and so I'm gonna use orchids as an example a lot just because I think they make great candidates. But many orchids grow within crevices of tree bark or in branch unions. Ferns do this too. We've got our philodendron and our pothos species that like to climb and vine up trees in their tropical habitats. These plants do not require, or kind of even at this point want, soil covering their roots like how we would think of many native East Coast United States plants wanting. These epiphytes then are ideal candidates for cochedama since the roots, which in these epiphytic plants are usually more to adhere the plant to its substrate than as nutrient uptake, these roots are constantly exposed to airflow which means that they're already going to be adapted to and accustomed to a kokedama sort of environment. So right there, we're learning more about plant habitats, about unique adaptations that these plants have, and then how do we emulate that on a small scale? So you're in your, your greenhouse, your nursery, and you're looking at all the beautiful plants and you're trying to think, oh my gosh, which one do I do? You're there, take out your phone, do a simple internet search while you are there and find out, just look at the, the little tag that's on the pot, the little stake that has the plant name, type that in and see, is this an epiphyte? How does it grow in the wild? If it is, snag it. If it's not, maybe consider that for a different project. Another good way to check though, especially if Wi-Fi <laughs> You know, Wi-Fi can tend to be pretty spotty, especially in greenhouses that might have metal frames to them. So if that's the case, check the root systems. If the roots are kind of poking up and over the sides of the pot, they're trying to grow out of the pot and not from the bottom little drainage holes because it's root bound, right? That's not the cause, but they're like poking up out of the top there's a good chance that this plant is an epiphyte because it's growing in a way that says, hey, ah, I need my roots to be exposed. I want this airflow. So they're forcing their roots up into the air. So many ferns, such as the, I love them, they're so cute. The rabbit foot ferns, they have these fuzzy rhizomes that kind of creep out and spill over the top of pots. That's what we're looking for, right? So these can be really great candidates for kokedama. Another, you may see philodendrons. They are they kind of look like vining plants, right? Think of our monsteras, our birkins, our uh, pink princesses. We've got lots and lots of different variety. Buyers, emperor of orange. You know, we've got lots of great ones in there. I personally am into collecting philodendrons, so this always is fun. But you may notice that they produce at the node this weird little brown nubbin. And over time, that nubbin gets really, really long and starts just sticking out. 
that's an aerial route. Orchids have them as well, which we can see if you're on the Patreon, you can see my orchid kokedama has these silvery green sort of protrusions, which are the aerial roots that help for stability, for structure, very mildly to kind of absorb excess humidity within the air. But they're pretty much just structural. If you have those aerial roots on the plant, that's a plant that wants to be in the air. So, all right, now you have, you have your plants in hand, you purchase them, you know what you want to make your kokedama with. So now we have another question to ask, an easy one to answer, but we need to ask what is going to be inside the moss other than lots of moss? and the plant roots. Is there anything else that we need here? Orchids, like I have shown, they, they like to grow on trees, so they want bark chips rather than more of a fine soil. So making a core of bark chips that the roots can then wrap around is going to be ideal, not specifically for orchids. To make that core, you can use the mesh of like an onion bag or a potato bag, or you can use old pantyhose that have ripped if you still have those around, or they're like $2 at a store. But you can use those because they have permeability, so water can get through and air to hold the bark in, in a nice little core shape. Then you drape the orchid roots around that core. From there, just like you would with any of these other kokedama plants like the ferns or the philodendrons, you can wrap that whole structure in waterlogged sphagnum moss. So when you're getting ready for this activity, you want to make sure that your sphagnum moss has been soaking beforehand. That moss is going to act as a sponge to hold water for a long time which is going to help keep the, keep the moss, keep the ball, keep the plant moist, even with airflow. It's gonna hold it for a long time and release the water as the plant needs it. So when I teach this program, I do have to say, this is usually the trickiest step. When you're first starting out, figuring out how to hold the, hold the ball while wrapping in moss and wrapping string around all of that, and it can be tricky and a lot of people wish they had at least three hands if not a fourth hand but it's not a partner activity right we're trying to do this ourselves with the two hands that we've got but with practice and time it gets a lot easier and more fluid you start to understand how to twist and wrap the ball which can be a very just as with many other Japanese planting techniques can be a very meditative experience. So in order to tell at the very end if the moss is adhered or not, you can kind of gently bounce or jiggle. So you would take your take your kokedama in your hands and kind of just gently bounce it a little bit. If a lot of moss starts falling off in these huge chunks, probably a good idea to add more string wrapped around. But if it's hardly any, you know, just little bits and pieces here and there, 
or nothing falls off, then you are good to go. Again, keep in mind if you are making an orchid kokedama, it's a really good idea to allow some of the roots to poke through the moss. That is specifically so that when you have those exposed roots, they act as bioindicators, meaning that you can get a good idea of the health of the inside of the ball and monitor proper growth without having to pry open the moss ball to examine it. So that can be really helpful if you're making an orchid kokidama. If you're not, you can make sure the whole thing is wrapped thoroughly. Then if you want, the final kind of step, optional, can be to wrap the sphagnum moss in green moss. So again, for those who are watching this, you saw that the two orchid kokedamas that I have are different colors. One of them is a kind of brownish tan color, and the other one is much more of a vibrant green. They both are moss, they both have sphagnum moss. One just stops at the sphagnum step and is just the brownish kind of pale tan color, while the other one uses a final layer of green moss. It's just personal preference. Either one is going to be adequate. So some people prefer that vibrant green look. Some people like the rustic pale brown look of the moss, or you don't wanna have to go out and buy another type of moss, right? It's up to you. Some people really like that floating island sort of look. So by adding a final layer of green moss over top with clear fishing line as compared to a natural, a natural kind of twine or hemp string that's going to degrade over time as the plant grows so it allows for more natural growth. Some people want that almost um, optical illusion effect of using that outer layer of that clear fishing line so that you can't see the string at all and you even hang it with the clear string so that it just looks in an open room as if there's this island just floating in front of a window. And that can be such a cool look to try to go for. But again, it's up to you and your artistic views. So finally, you've done all of that. You have your finished kokedama in your hands. Gently weigh it. While it's in your hand, figure out how much does it weigh? What does it feel like? The freshly waterlogged moss is going to be rather heavy since sphagnum moss can hold a remarkable amount of water. If the moss is dry or crispy or doesn't have any give if you tried to squeeze it, then it definitely needs to be watered. So how do we water a kokedama? Because it's not something that we're really pouring a watering can over top of. We give it a bath. That's pretty much the easiest thing to do. I like to think of it as similar to when I'm making crock pot stuff for dinner. You do the thing and then you forget about it for a while. So to water your kokedama, get a bowl or a bucket that is deep enough to fit your kokedama inside. You're going to add water to about half to two thirds of the height of your moss ball. 
This is going to prevent any water from getting in the crown, getting in that top where all of the leaves meet the moss, which can cause crown rot. So we wanna avoid that. The moss is like a sponge. It's going to soak up the water. So once it's done soaking it up, you'll see that it's no longer just a line of water at the bottom. You'll see it's all kind of wet. You can feel that the top of the kokedama, even though it hasn't been directly watered, still feels moist to the touch. When it's done, and that's gonna be hours later, like you can sit this in a little tub in the sink for the day while you're working and then come back to it later. You're gonna to want to allow it to drip dry before you hang it back up. Some people like to display their kokedama on a plate or a solid surface, having them, you know, just kind of sit on a shelf in a windowsill. You don't have a nice place to hang it. However, you know, that's not what everybody wants. But if you do have it that way, that kind of drip dry might not be as necessary. So you still don't want your plant sitting in puddles of water. That's gonna cause root rot. So we wanna avoid that. So you do want it to drip a little bit, but it doesn't need to be as, as drained as it would be if you're hanging it and now you're worried about whatever is below your spot where you have it hanged. You don't want it dripping onto the floor. Overall, these little plants are a great way to express your creativity. Adding different plants to your moss ball arrangement can be really fun, or you can work on creating these floating islands. It's all a really good time and a great way to, again, work at the right side of your brain, a different side of your brain. You know, you're going to use the science side as you are analyzing hmm, what plants are going to be best suited, but then you get to, you know, let your imagination run wild with how you want it to look. If you are looking for inspiration, there's somebody I follow on Instagram. They are called Garden Atelier. It's A-T-E-L-I-R. And they are on Instagram. I'm going to put their link in the podcast description. So definitely check them out. They create these absolutely stunning, incredible planted habitats, and they call them tamandama instead of kokedama, which takes the, the Japanese style of the moss ball with the single plant and expands upon that. And this is a more Indonesian, Thailand, sort of um, Southeastern Asian sort of take on this, creating a really full arrangement and it's not just a single plant anymore. So they can combine cacti, succulents, flowers, and all sorts of other epiphytes into these gorgeous pieces that can provide all sorts of really great botanical education, uh, tips and tricks for creating your own, as well as some more information about these plants' life histories. So again, I have that link in the podcast description to go check out Garden Atelier. But by creating your own moth plants, why, why do we want to do this in the first place? Like this is a lot more work than just kind of buying a plant and bringing it home in its black nursery pot. It takes a little bit of extra steps. So first, 
it lets us be creative and express that part of us. It lets us get hands on with the plants, which can help us really get to know the plant as well. Keeps you engaged. But by gardening inside, we're also boosting both our physical and our mental well-being. I have a ton of podcast episodes where I talk about things like horticultural therapy projects with Caitlin Whalen. I talk about the importance of gardening indoors, especially during the winter time when we're not getting that routine interaction with the natural world. There's a lot of really important ways that we can engage with plants. So it's all, it's all good stuff for our brains, for our bodies, for our mental well-being as we're thinking of, you know, during the lockdown with COVID and how can we still engage with, with nature? How can we still engage with our hobbies, right? So it helps us have a, a wealth of blessings upon us and throughout the whole thing, it increases environmental understanding, thereby increasing environmental literacy, which in turn helps us recognize why protecting habitats overall is so important. Because as we learn about the orchid who prefers to kind of grow out to the side horizontally, like you're seeing here, as we learn about that, we're learning about how the orchids grow, how they act in their native habitats. And then we can realize how important trees and other plants are, how everything is so intricately connected, how important it is to protect these areas. So for what it's earth, each person who can create their own little kokedama, even a tiny little guy, can be making positive impacts on their own well-being and gain a deeper appreciation for substrate adaptations, for unique epiphyte growth of plants. So with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the Art of Ecology. And next week, I will be joined again by one of my special guests who's talking about her art forms. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, please stay tuned for that one. I know you will not want to miss it. You can follow along on any podcast streaming platform. And you can follow me on social media at The Art of Ecology. And with that, I will see you next time on For What It's Earth. Bye.